Hey, uh, Sarah. Uh-huh. Did you know that the uh, ancient Sumerians um, had a very rudimentary version of hopscotch? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. But So you know how in hopscotch when you're supposed to throw the coin around uh-huh. and you're supposed to jump over the coin and you do that right. pattern? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, except instead of a coin, um, it, it, was a, it was a disembodied head. What? What? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh, you son of a... Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. And I am Sarah Ashley. We haven't done one of those in a while. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. And uh, so you're fine, and I'm fine. We are all fine. We're not just fine. We are fine. Yeah. Like F-O-Y-N-E. Fine. Is that an actual word now? N- no. Okay. Because if it ends up nerds <laughs> on words, that's going to be odd. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, guys, um, as you guys know already from the last episode, Eric is out. He will be back next episode. We promise. Yep. Or, you know, something. we'll have to do something weird. Like, I might have to, I don't know. Pretend to be Eric. Pretend to be Eric or, I don't know, grow a goofy mustache or something in case... Uh, I can get an Eric puppet. I mean, it's a visual gag for an audio medium, but you and I will know. <laughs> we have to give him a funnier voice, though. Yeah. Hi, I'm guys. Eric. Yeah, I'm Eric. <laughs> and I like Egypt and Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> and Star Trek. Don't forget Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Eric sounds like Stitch from Lee Yeah, why Stitch. not? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, he'll be back, but we're going to continue our interview with um, trying out this new concept of uh, history from a single person's perspective, right? A living history. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk to my grandfather, Larry Mortensen. We hope you guys enjoy it because it was he's a great guy to talk to in person. And as you can tell, he's got lots of great stories to share. So freedom triumphed. And yeah. 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 It, uh, uh, it was just, you felt it more than anything else in that was it. As a consequence, now you asked me what changed it. The times they are changing. It, you know, there was more affluence. There was uh, greater, greater freedoms to the to the point of shouldn't have been. You you have to have some control, and people's goals changed. Uh, they wanted the house. They wanted this. They wanted that. Etc. You're basically and, talking about the birth of the American dream. Yeah, really. yeah. Yeah. But the family hurt. Yeah. As a result of that, the families were on a downgrade in in respect to uh, the cohesiveness, the uh, general feeling that was had before. Now people say, "Oh, yeah. Well, that was a different time." You're right. It was a different time. And it's too bad we couldn't have retained some of it. Uh, mm. I don't say that it was all good. Uh, hell no. I mean, there was, you know, there were some, you know, the, the things that people went through during the Depression scarred them for their lives. I'm sure. Uh, uh, I see it today. I can tell. Just the way somebody... Uh, Runs runs their life, how they've run their life, yeah, and it's it's had an effect on them. And for you, what was the effect the depression had on you? Did you? I mean, sounds like as a kid you weren't really noticing it; it was just around you. But yeah. looking back, what do you yeah. think changed? I, uh, well, being bound, there was a yin and a yin and a yang on on that for me. Moving around as much as I did was great later on because I learned an awful lot. I saw an awful lot. I uh, understood more about certain areas simply because of that. But by the same token, I felt the lack of, of, of uh, some parental uh, guidance sometimes. Mm. And, uh, and it was, uh, it, it showed up. It showed up later on. And thank God, I, I, I've gotten, you know, 
<laughs> I'm 81 years old now, for crying out loud. So, and I, I uh, managed to get through life and managed to do fairly well, and uh, which I thank God for. But uh, uh, no, if I had, if you want to call it regret, it was that uh, I, I have seen some families that I, I didn't envy, but I, I admired in respect to their, uh, the way they were raised, etc. And I didn't get that. Uh, but that's, you know, that's in the past and that's gone. Uh, and by and large, I have had a, a wonderful life. I really have. I'm, I'm very proud of my children, my grandchildren. Uh, they're just, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm constantly amazed, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, not that it's all roses, you know, <laughs> that's sure. not the point. I mean, life goes on. But, you know, I do, I do wish that there was more, more of a cohesiveness in families than than we see because everybody's got a, a goal of make it and make it as big as you can any way you can and that's that's not good it's not good uh i've seen some people that give up things to obtain some other things but when you do that make sure that you're not giving up too much and what you're giving up is worth it. So when we get to you, back to you being a late teenager in Monrovia, mm -hmm. what inspired you to to join the Navy at that point? Obviously, there was there was the Korean conflict, but like, what else was there? Anything else that drove you to do that? Oh yeah, yeah. I was not doing well in school, for one thing, and uh, uh, I thought, you know, this is not cutting it. And it was, uh, I. But you know, I've got to I've got to set a goal, and the only way I'm going to do is get get out of here. And okay. uh, in a lot of respects, I I was one of those individuals that, and there are some that uh, school is not really it, it, it's good, but it isn't. It's the regimentation. I never liked the regimentation. So what do I do? I join the navy. You want regimentation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I I set that as a goal. And I said, I'm going to uh, gain what I'm giving up in, in doing this. And the fact that also I needed, I needed that discipline. And there's a certain amount of discipline that we all need. And if you don't get it, you're not going to make it. You're going to be in constant troubles. And, 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 and that goes in anybody. This is one of the things we did in college for kind of disciplines. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, it's to get you to thinking along the lines, yes, you have to do, you have to complete this. It's for a reason. So did you enlist and then you found out about the Korean conflict or did you oh, enlist no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I knew the Korean conflict. In fact, I, I piled around with a couple of guys uh, uh, that uh, were already in, uh, Gene Aiken and... And uh, another guy at, uh, uh, that I palled around with. See, I, that was one thing, too. I always palled around with people a lot older than me. And this one guy that I uh, palled around with, he'd been in the Army of Occupation in Japan. And uh, he was there, it was about three weeks after the signing of the treaty. And uh, the uh, Japanese blew up an ammo dump. It was, they, they still, you know, they still... They were still fighting, even after the official surrender. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, and he was three blocks away from this, and he was looking up, and he saw this piece of metal, and he couldn't move. He came down almost all but took off his arm. Wow. Yeah. But uh, they managed to to keep it. But uh, anyway, he was uh, Johnny was uh, was a friend of mine, and it was you know. And there was a certain amount of adventure, if you will, uh, attached to it. And I wanted to, uh, uh, I just felt that I needed it. 
I needed it. And for me, it was good. Not, yeah. not for everybody. And so I love this story because uh, do you want to talk about the, how you were almost a Marine instead of a... Oh, engineer? yeah, yeah. That was the Moda Day building where we uh, all lined up naked as jaybirds. I assume that was for a medical inspection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd all gone through a medical inspection. Sure. And this was at the end of that. It wasn't just like, welcome to the military and take off your clothes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we're all there. And there was a Marine top sergeant and a Navy chief. And they started at one end of the line. And uh, every other one, he said, you're a Marine. You're a Marine. You're a Marine. I would have been in the Marines except one guy on that side, one side on that side. So they went every opposite was like Marine, Navy, Marine, Navy. Yeah. And he just, he didn't say anything about that. He says, you're a Marine. You're a Marine. He went every other one. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And uh, uh, talk about karma. It's, you know, I mean, you go into the Marines, and particularly at that time, you're going into combat, period. There's yeah. no two ways about it. You know, it's so, I kind of regret it because my other grandfather, who obviously oh, great. Has yeah. 20 yeah. years ago passed, yeah. was a Marine. Yeah, I know. And it, it was... I would love to hear his stories about. I mean, I, if he was even comfortable sharing, but he definitely saw the front lines of combat. Yeah, uh, and uh, it. I know, obviously, it changes you, um, and yeah. I would just. I would have loved to hear that, but you know, is what it is. Um, so, when you joined, what did you end up doing in the Navy? Oh, a lot of different things. First of all, I was my first assignment was I was supposed to leave with half my company, uh, my boot camp company, and to go aboard a DDE, which is a destroyer escort, the McGinty. And uh, again, karma enters in. Uh, and here we are at 5 a.m. in the morning, and they're calling off the name and serial numbers and so on and so forth like that. I wound up standing there by my lonesome and. And these guys are going aboard ship, and they're going, they're shipping out for meet the, the McGinty and go on board her, which she was off once on harbor at that time. And uh, said, anybody I haven't called, me. Name and serial number. So go on up to the MA shack, Master at Arms, and uh, see what they've got to say about it. Well, I go up there, I give them my name, and Serial number and so on. He says, oh, oh, okay. Report to the legal office at uh, 0900 this morning. You're being held for special court-martial. <laughs> what? Well, anyway, long story short, I wound up, it was a mistake that it, it goofed and one, one number was off on my serial number <laughs> and it was somebody else. A glitch in the IBM <laughs> machine. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so consequently, I wound up in what they called OGU, outgoing units, just awaiting orders. And I finally got orders, and my orders were, gee whiz, you're going to Barbers Point, Hawaii, territory of Hawaii. Wow. MBR 21, which was a uh, fleet logistics, and what we did, uh, our, our main thrust was to supply... Uh, supplies, troops, etc., or anything else that was going out to Korea. That's what we did. We, we had we had uh, a TAD base, which is temporary, well, uh, temporary attached de- uh, detail. Uh, we had one at Sangley, and we also had one at uh, Sagamayosko. Sagamayosko is in Japan, and we'd fly out there and then go on up to K2, which was uh, in Korea itself, just outside Seoul. And you either delivered troops or whatever, whatever you had, that's where you went. And sometimes you'd ferry uh, refugees out over to Formosa. Sometimes, you know, anyway, it was uh, was very interesting. But my first job there was sweeping the hangers. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody started sweeping the hangers. I'm sure. And then uh, and then they uh, took me out of there and I was 
uh, I was in a flight plan or air plot. And uh, what I would do is I was working midnights and I'd make out flight plans for the, for the planes taking off from the United, from the United States proper out to Barbara's Point. Okay. Out to Barbara's Point. And make out those flight plans. And then you, covering that, you had to figure out what you were carrying, how much you were carrying. Was it was it troops? Was it whatever? And so on and so forth like that. And you had to figure out, you had to get the winds from aerology and, and put all that together. And, and they, they called it an E6B computer. What it was was just a round round piece of plastic with a whole bunch of numbers on it. Huh. <laughs> and... And, you know, you match up this, that, that, and so on and so forth like that. And it told you how much gasoline you had to go take on board, et cetera, and so forth like that. Huh. So it was, it was inter- interesting. And then, uh, then I worked uh, at various other jobs there. Uh, my first periods out there was uh, nine, and then clean planes. I'd, uh, uh, one time we had, uh, we were all on alert no leave for anybody or, you know, no hit in the beach. What had happened was we lost tremendous losses in, in, on a, in a battle in, in Korea. And so as a consequence, we were part of, there was Marines, it was Navy. Air Force at all? Or? Air, Air Force. Yeah. Ferrying a complete Marine regiment. Wow. One plane was landing every five minutes. One plane was taking off every seven minutes. And these guys, you know, you're not going to see a, a lot of them again. You're literally taking them, shipping them off to combat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, that's where we, that's where we took off. Boom. And it went, and you just stopped and you got fuel and boom, you know, where you went. And that was everything. I mean, everything that they needed to operate as a regiment we ferried out there. We were part of it. Wow. It was, uh, it was interesting, to say the least. But uh, that was just one of the incidents. There were, there were some others. And uh, any close eventually, calls? I'm sorry. Sorry, any close calls? No, not really. They'd shoot at you when you're taken off from Korea, but no big deal. Um, eventually, I went to ship's company. Ship's company, which means all. In other words, I was transferred from VR twenty one to Ship's company, which was, uh, on, it wasn't a ship, but it was the base. In other words, the base command, the base, and so like that. And I worked, uh, uh, I, I worked in their stores, and then I wound up coming back from there and back to VR five out here at Moffett Field, and that's where I spent the remainder of my uh, enlistment out here at Moffett Field, and that's where uh, I met your grandmother the first day I was here. Oh, the first day? Yeah. Wow. And I just to give our listeners a little fun little fact, too, one of the things you did do when you were not servicing is you took up surfing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I surfed out in the islands, yeah. Yeah, I had my own surfboard. At that time, uh, I became a member of the Waikiki Surf Club, which you can't now. Uh because they don't allow Hollies in it now. <laughs> they don't allow Americans, based or white Americans. Hollies. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, I did. And I, I surfed out there. And uh, it was great. Uh, in fact, uh, that's where I remember Robert Francis in, in uh, uh, the Kane Mutiny. He was, uh, I met him. He walked up to me on the beach. It was on a Sunday morning. And uh, asked me about my surfboard, and wanted to know all about surfing. We had we had tea and toast across the street. <laughs> I love that story too. And for those who may not remember or know, Robert Francis was a film actor. Yes, uh, big film actor. So it just that's a. F- it was later killed in an airplane accident. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's uh, that's an unbelievable story. Um, so you meet Nani. You meet. My grandmother uh, at was it USO? Was that where it was, or how did you guys actually meet? Well, I got I got to I got to Moffat, and uh, two buddies that I had out in the islands 
uh, were there and so on like that. And they said, well, we got to take you out on the time because it was happened to be the weekend and I couldn't, I couldn't really check in yet. So I was still on travel orders and they said, we'll, we'll take you out and show you the town and so on and so forth like that. <laughs> the town. <laughs> of, of, uh, of San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I forgot how we wound up with a car for some reason. I don't know why. Borrowed one or some whatever, and uh, we went down. And uh, Bob Phillips said, "I got to stop at the USO. There's a gal I've been dating there, and I, I've got to see her and get a couple things straightened out and so on." I said, "Fine, no, no, no problem. I'm just with you guys. It's great." So we stopped there, and uh, Chuck Bunnell was the other guy. So we walk in, and I'm just standing around, and uh, I see this gal on the other side of the room, literally, and she's not doing, she's not dancing. So I walked over and asked her to dance. And of course, they had to have, they had to dance with you. Anyway, I, being shy and retiring, I gabbed the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, anyway, I wound up. Uh, Bob gave me the high sign. He was ready to go. And I said, uh, by the way, uh, what time do you get out of here? And she said, what do you mean? She said, I said, well, uh, we've got we've got a car and we'll give you a lift home. And she said, well, I'm living over at the Y, the YWCA. And I said, fine. And she said, well, I've got a girlfriend. And uh, I said, fine, bring her along. Said, you know, it's great. You know, maybe we'll stop and get something to eat and... We'll just drop you off, okay? I'd like to get to know you a little better. Well, that started the whole thing. Hmm. And uh, we, I came back, and I think it was 11.30. I said, be there. She said, well, 11.30. She never expected to see me. And her jaw dropped mild when <laughs> I showed up in the doorway. And uh, anyway, that was, uh, that was, in a sense, our first date, and that was... She's the only one I did. Wow. <laughs> and within, it was a fairly, I mean, by today's standards, a very short courtship because you guys were married within, what, a year or two of yeah, meeting? About six months. Six, six months. Six yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and Chuck Pinnell wound up marrying uh, the girlfriend. <laughs> of course. Of and, course, it ends up that way. And Bob Phillips wound up marrying another girlfriend. Wow. Well, there you go. One fateful evening. Yeah, one fateful evening. Wow. Well, Chuck and uh, Chuck and uh, Ioli, she was from, uh, I sang at their wedding. Matter of fact, she was from Kingsburg, just below Fresno. And uh, Bob and Bev, it didn't work out too well for them. Mm. So they had kids, but then it just didn't work out. And then, of course, you know what happened with, yeah. <laughs> with us. Five kids. Yeah. Five kids. Yeah. Um, Five kids. Jeez. And that was, you had my, my of course, the eldest, my uncle, um, who's been on the podcast um, previously. Uh, you, he, that was still in Monrovia, right? When, or in roundabouts LA when that, when he was born and then you guys moved up to no, San he was, Jose? He was born here. He was born here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I still had service time to do. Oh, okay. And, uh, uh, he was born the day after I, the day before I got out. Wow! Of the Navy, yeah. In fact, I won twenty bucks from a commander. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "He because he told me, well, I I said it's going to be a boy, and he'll come, he'll come on the on the twenty first, and because that was the date they'd said, and it did. And I walked into his office the following morning. I said, I got twenty bucks. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and he says." You're kidding. I said, nope. <laughs> now, the days you hear that exchange and it would go, you got 20 bucks. You're like, you got a birth certificate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. that's, yeah. that's 20 that's... bucks was... <laughs> a lot back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you got out of the Navy and you're you're living in the Orchard Valley at this point. Oh, yeah. Right, right. I mean, oh, yeah. it's yeah. amazing to think about because Moffitt now is... NASA Ames, pretty much, and Lockheed still. And just to, to imagine just the landscape is completely different. It's orchards pretty much everywhere. It was. My first brush 
with um, anything electronic was Ampex. Ampex at that time took over the old the old high school in Cupertino, and they were there, mm-hmm. and they wanted. I was front of, you know, I was I was working here and I was working there and so on like that. So you took jobs where you could find them. And uh, so I, I got a couple of nights work there, just guarding, you know, just to be on, on the premises, you know, at night and so on and so forth like that. But that was Ampex. I had no idea who they were. Right. You know, Ampex, oh, we'll be, you know. Anyway, uh, then uh, I went through uh, some of the jobs and I wound up... Uh, uh, working for Railway Express, a guy that uh, I met there got me interested in the sheriff's department. I, making a long story short, I went and took uh, the exam and uh, eventually got on the sheriff's department. Yeah, and I'm sure the military training helped a lot too. Yeah, oh yeah, just about, yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Did you have to go to an academy or were you pretty much... I did. Uh, I went through. Uh, uh, I went through school. In respect to that, uh, uh, one of my instructors, Blackie Ames, Ed Ames, uh, just one hell of a nice guy. Uh, he um, he left there and went to work for the government uh, later on. Not too much later on, but, uh, but later on. But uh, anyway, that's how I got into law enforcement, and from there it just went on out and right. And, and I wound up uh, I wound up going out to Los Gatos and. And uh, going to work for them in 1959, September. And so how many years were you a police officer? Uh, a little over 20 years. And a, f- a few of those years you were a detective, too, is that correct? Yes. Wow, and that was for Los Gatos at that point. Yeah, yeah. So you Los Gatos, right. So you were a deputy for the sheriff's department for a few years, yeah. transitioned to Los Gatos. Right. And that was that was your career pretty much, right? Pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah, that fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's another story. Oh, of course. No, that's a, <laughs> and believe me, he shared quite a few um, that are fascinating. But I would say then more or less through that 20 years, that's where you really saw a lot of change in this oh, area. Yeah. So yeah. when did you get the sense that that something was, a shift was taking place between agricultural to technological in this area? Yeah. You'd have to be blind not to see it. Because all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, orchards are disappearing, houses are going up. Uh, freeways are going up. Too. Yeah, freeways are, are going up, etc. Now, to the to the extent that this is quote unquote Silicon Valley, uh, I don't think that, that was thought of in in, res- in that respect. We we would be the the world's center, which in point of fact we are. Yeah, as far as technology, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and that, no. But uh, insofar as the growth of the industry, yeah, you could see it. I mean, you'd, you'd be blind not to see it. But you know, they're just evolved along with it. Right. Because it's like a magnet. Sure. So um, in your work as a police officer... Um, you I mean, you got the chance to see some of these companies pop up. Like you saw Apple in its very early stages when it was still pretty much... I remember Atari. You remember in, Atari, yeah. In Los Gatos. Wow. Oh, yeah. You'd walk in that place and get high. <laughs> well, yeah, we talked about this in the um, our episode where we talked about the, the video game industry is that a lot of these guys were computer programmers who... Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. just trying to hack a computer to do things that we didn't think it could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as it turns out, computer engineers yeah. need a way to relax. And so... You walk in here, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't breathe too deep. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I just... Because I don't think many of us know, your job as a police officer at that point is you, you smell the evidence. What do you, what do, you do at that point? What's your, what's your training tell you to do? I think I made one comment one time. You know, if you're going to have police officers coming in the building, you ought to at least get some fans. <laughs> you know, we can't just ignore, you know, and, and, and yeah, man, yeah, man, okay. 
So you let him off with a warning, basically. Well, yeah. Well, they got the clue. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, no. During the 60s and the early 70s, it was a different town. Sure. Different town, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, for those who don't live in the Bay Area, Los Gatos now is very much kind of a well-to-do, um, not kind of, it is a well-to-do part of the of the valley. Well, it's all becoming well-to-do, but for a long time, it was the well-to-do part of the South Bay. What it was, when I I saw just the ending of it in, in, in some respects, uh, Yehudi Menuhin, uh, the, the, the violin virtuoso, uh, lived just right on the edge of town. It was a uh, uh, somewhat bucolic uh, little community. And a lot of the places there were owned by people that actually lived in San Francisco. And they'd come out in the summer. <laughs> that was their summer home. That was their summer home. Interesting. Yeah. And I saw just the ending of that uh, in, in a lot of respects. Uh, yeah, the uh, where Dar built his bar, uh, you know, the uh, pet rock entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that when I when I first went to work there, and of course the train still went out there when I first went to work there. Uh, it wasn't going over; they'd stopped going over the hill to San, uh, to uh, Santa Cruz, but it was. Uh, that was the end of the line there, and the um, where the park is there, Maine and and South Santa Cruz, that's where the railroad was, and it went down University Avenue uh, for the most part, and right behind all the bars and so on and so forth like that, uh, it was just totally different different place. May I ask, because um, obviously working in law enforcement, there's only so much you can you can actually say, but um, would you mind if I ask what was the most interesting, other than having to go and tell the guys at Atari to knock off the, the weed smoking, what was probably the most interesting situation you, you found yourself in as a police officer? Oh, there were so many. When Old Town, Old Town was based in the old school, the University Avenue School there. And uh, during the 60s, it became a hotbed. I mean, it was it really was a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs were being uh, passed around, sold, et cetera, and so forth like that. And I, even even I worked undercover a few few times there. And I would say that that was interesting to the point that I really realized I didn't want to work in narcotics. Yeah, it's a dark it's field. It's a little downer. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was the one that first got, uh, I got the first patch of LSD in the county. I bought it right there at Old Town. Wow. Yeah, I was about as big around as my... Is your pinky? Wow. Yeah, on this, and it was uh, pure. It was the first pure LSD, and they dabbed it on there. And at that point, the badge comes out, or what is that? Like, what was that? What oh, was that? yeah, yeah, the guy's eyes got about this big. I said, guess where we're going. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I've forgotten how much it was, but it, was a, it, was a, it wasn't cheap. You know, and, and the thing was that we were down, and I had another officer with me, but he was so, I mean, all these people are all around. And I'm just thinking, don't let this guy go nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it could have been, it could have gotten very nasty. Sure. You know, but, uh, and we walked right through them and over to the to the police station. I mean, he was, he was just scared shitless. <laughs> that was, that was the whole thing with him. I, I don't, to this day, I don't know what happened with him. Mm. And I could care less. <laughs> so what led to, um, to retirement in that case, because 20 years is a, is a good long time to be a police officer, but you also retired fairly young, mm -hmm. too. Well, the doctor had something to do with that, too. Yeah. It wears on you. You sure? Uh, I've seen a lot of good men, I mean, some damn good men in, the, in law enforcement uh, go off. But anyway. 
I mean, you, you actually kind of defied the statistic, though, because um, statistically, law enforcement officers, when they go into retirement, they usually don't only live about 10 years. That's true. And not alone that one, but I stayed married. Yeah. By the grace of God. <laughs> uh, essentially, it came down to that. that uh, that's enough. Too much stress. And uh, I remember the doctor telling me afterwards, he says, I was just elated when you told, called me and said, send the letter in. Because he says, I just kept wondering, you were either going to drop or you were going to be in the middle of a transmission or something else like that and and uh, just go boom. And yeah. So at that, at that particular time, it had to do with my heart. So... And it wasn't until later that I found out that uh, I wasn't getting any from here, down here. I didn't have any arteries. Uh, for those who can't see, he's gesturing to a blood vessel in his leg. Yeah. 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 It, uh, wow. Uh, with the availability at that time of certain tests, they, weren't, they were a lot better later on than I could find out. And, uh, and then I got the film film. I have a... From this artery over here on my right hand side, I want a Teflon tube that goes over and feeds this over here. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's long before the cancer got me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it hasn't taken it yet. That's not yet. Not yet. Um, not yet. You've always been a fighter. So and it sounds like growing up in the depression and yeah. surviving twenty years as a police officer, like just it's it's built into your DNA at that point. Well, yeah, yeah. You have to. You just got to move on. You've got to keep going. Yeah. Um, what was what was the adjustment like retiring from the police office, police force um, from there? Because you you didn't fully retire at that point, right? You had a couple of jobs. Oh yeah, yeah. And in fact, that was the amazing part about it. I'll tell you one thing: when you once you're a police officer and you've got a number of years in it. Short of uh, brain surgery, you can do just about every damn thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, because you even got exposure to computers as oh, yeah. a, a police officer, oh, right? Yeah, I work. Uh, I went to work uh, down at DMC Systems, uh, which was a uh, an outfit down in Santa Clara at the time. And uh, without going into a whole bunch of rigmarole, I, I came on board as a stock clerk, and six months later, I was running the stock room. Uh, and then I became a, a buyer, and I was running the stock room, and I was a buyer, electronics buyer. And I, one time I worked for Teledyne, and uh, on Mountain View, and I, uh, they had millions of dollars in that stock room that I had. It was just driving you nuts. Sure, and uh, this is an age where technology is moving so fast. Oh. In a business sense too, because you have these all these smaller companies that are being bought by bigger companies and being merged and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was very interesting, and then eventually, uh, two things caught up my age, and uh, it's a fact that uh, once you pass fifty in this valley, it yeah. gets rough. It gets very rough. Yeah. Uh, as far as getting uh, uh, losing a job and going out and getting something, uh, particularly in electronics. Yeah, because they want people who are young and sharp. They, it's just the way it is. And uh, fortunately, your grandmother worked for the state. She worked for uh, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles and was uh, the assistant uh, manager out in Los Gatos out there, which worked out great. And so between the two of us, we managed. So then what was the official year you you retired? Because, I mean, you it was always fascinating to me because you became a grandfather very, very young. You were, yes, what, in your, were you 50 or 40? Or was, I can't remember. Well. Oh, so it would have been. You Tina. Been, yeah, so it would have been um, my mom, for those who don't know. Um, my <laughs> older, well, everyone knows Sean at this point from listening to the film podcast. Um, so he would have been, you would have been, yeah, you would have been only about 49 or 50, I think, when he was born, so you was that fairly. I mean, something, that sounds, something like that. Yeah. Was yeah. that? Does that seem fairly young? I turned fifty when I was working for 
In fact, I was still working at, because I'd, I'd left Teledyne and went back to DMC Systems. Something like that. Anyway, I get, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and at that point, so then when did you officially um, retire then? Was it 50? It was obviously in your 50s, but... Do you... No, no. Uh, of course, that was in the 80s. In about 1992, I'd, I was working for a, an electronics firm. They were up in... Uh, just outside of Fremont, and uh, they went belly up, and well, it was, it's another story. <laughs> anyway, and from then on, it was just not. It's not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah. It just uh, your age is against you, and got it. So, and that was about you were almost sixty at that point. Well, I was in. I was in. Uh, yeah, I was in my later years. Let's put it that way. Now, now, of course, I'm eighty-one, and. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, uh, I've been fortunate in the in the fact that uh, I've survived uh, since 1996, knowing about this cancer. Actually, it was August '96 that this was first discovered, and uh, 20 years. Yeah, almost 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although it was called in situ. Which was it was not uh, serious, but they knew eventually it was going to was going to happen, and uh, it did, and it did it did before before uh, Yunani uh, passed away, and I was it was developing more and more, yeah. And then of course when she died, that was boom. Well, sure, because the stress, yeah, 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 yeah. and it. Uh, was uh, unlucky. Yeah. I'm, I'm indeed fortunate that yeah. uh, I got good good doctors. Yeah. And anyway, I'm still here. Yeah. And I think you guys shared, you guys had a good 18 to 20 years of retirement together. Because I, I remember her retiring, and that was, I think, 95. Yeah, we, right? we, were, we were very fortunate. Yeah, you did a lot of traveling. And yes, we did. And then when we moved to uh, Paso... Uh, we had to, it was a great time. Yeah, it really was. Anyway, that sort more or less brings us up to date. Yeah, and uh, the beat goes on. The beat goes on. <laughs> Five full-grown kids, four grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Later. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because some of this stuff I've heard before, but there's also a lot of details that I didn't hear mm-hmm. before. So it just it is really really fascinating to to hear. All that stuff, and I know there's more, more that we probably even have time for sure. to go into. Um, so I just want to say thank you for you're very welcome doing this, and maybe um, another time. Yeah, absolutely. There'd be more for us to talk about, and I appreciate you doing this because I know you've always been a student of history. Uh, you've yeah. always uh, yeah. been reading up on I certain events. The main thing in, in respect to the crux of the matter of the Second World War. And coming out of the uh, depression is that what I said before, and I'll repeat it. There are a lot of people who are scarred, and uh, there's still a lot of them still alive now. Uh, but uh, it's like everything, you know, passes on. And but in relation to the war or wars. It seems like we've been in constant war since the Second World War, and it's in in that respect, it gets kind of old. Yeah, and it uh, uh, it's like I've got this horrible, horrible dislike for politics. Uh, no, I it just it's it's abhorrent to me. Uh, we've changed so much. In our in our respects for what this country is supposed to be, and uh, yeah, you're always going to have change, but uh, don't get me wrong, I understand that. But when it's just for gain, then we're getting far afield. Yeah, and that's what it seems like it is. Yeah, and I hope to God I'm wrong. Hmm, I hope so too. 
it's a far cry from what you were talking about where yeah i mean no government's been perfect obviously no, but no or and and there were a lot of things that were done and were not uh exactly good sure uh the japanese and uh, the internment of the japanese uh, americans etc horrible thing uh, uh and and some other other things you know but all in all we we haven't done too badly yeah we're still we're still here as elaine stritch's number is <laughs> and i'm still here yeah yeah <laughs> indeed um well i mean we i know if we got on the topic of us history we we could talk for another another hour and a half easily uh about that kind of stuff but um i think it's um just again i want to thank you for for sitting down with us and sharing your experience because that i think that's truly what makes history come alive you know it's no longer just something you read about in books or read about in articles and stuff like that you're hearing a real person yeah. talk about it one one final thing i will say now it seems to be we're going through a phase that uh, uh, the police departments are really catching holy hell uh just remember they're all human beings yeah and they make mistakes we all make mistakes and there is nobody walking around that doesn't but it's always it's human nature to jump on the bandwagon and uh uh condemn sure before you know what's going on yeah we've become a condemning culture i wish now. there were some way and i don't know of a, of a way that uh, people could experience a a week of police work uh in in respite just out on a beat and uh it's been done to a certain degree and you know ride alongs and something like that but they're not it's not enough uh it would be a tremendous help people it's it's sort of like sort of like you know everybody bitches and moans about the united states this the united states that hey Take a few trips abroad and see what it's like and you'll learn a few things and how lucky we really are. And that's it. And that's it. Thank you, Papa. And there you have it, folks. That was it. That was really, really fascinating. Yeah. And I hope we get to do this again because um, this was fun. And man, I just keep thinking about all the people who are out there who have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I almost want to kind of put the APB out there on our podcast. Like, if you guys have a relative who has a story to tell, mm-hmm. talk to them. Yeah. Really get their perspective. Um, because it might just change the way you think about history and the way you think about life. About, well, and about your relative. Yeah, It exactly. can give you a whole new perspective on, on, on who they are based on their life experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so why don't we get into some listener feedback? This week in listener feedback. So we do have a couple pieces of feedback. One we want to say from Michaela. Michaela was the person we mentioned last time who was willing to, to fly from the upper northwest mm-hmm. down. She also gave us a donation. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much for doing that. Much appreciated. We also have a, a feedback from Vin. Vin, whose response was, subject is Napoleon in America. Ah, yes. Yes. So, um... He, when we were joking about um, Napoleon ended up being coming to America, uh, he said, you're actually not that far off. His brother Joseph spent some time in New Jersey, and he also allegedly saw and shot the Jersey Devil. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like good old uh, Bonaparte propaganda to me. Yes, indeed. So thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Yeah, I like that. That's a That's a fun tidbit. And that's kind of all we have. Like most of the feedback was predominantly, again, we wanted to go to the Rosicrucian Museum and we love nerds on words. Um, So thank you guys again for that feedback. And if you haven't listened to nerds on words, go back a couple episodes and give us a listen to that. It's our pilot Mm -hmm. for a new episode, a new, sorry, a new whole new podcast that we're going to be rolling out eventually once we get the scheduling and logistics taken care of. 
<laughs> because Sean's many, the many logistics. Person. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't think Sean wants a new show to edit. Because <laughs> yeah, if we do that, we also know Sean's going to take up chain smoking. Yeah, probably. And we and want we want him to be healthy. Exactly. As healthy as possible, get relative to his lifestyle. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but tell us... Um, Sarah, how can our listeners give us this awesome feedback that we crave more of? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, You can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking the Talk to Us button. That is the easiest way of doing it. It shoots an email right to our inboxes. Otherwise, you can also um, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Nerdonomy. You will find us. I promise you that. Um, You can also, um, if you go to nerdonomy.com, you can find our Skype number. So you can call and leave us a voicemail if you're feeling really analog and (laughs) give us we want to hear our listeners literally we want to literally hear our listeners i'm totally down shout us out and we'll and if it sounds good we'll play it on the air so there you go Mm -hmm. um also if you um want to send us anything in the way of a care package or cookies or more cookies and cookies um you can use our uh, bo box which is um on our website as well um we'll make sure that brian tests the cookies first and (laughs) um the other thing that you can do is give us a review you can um, review us on itunes or you can just tell our friends um whatever you want to do however which way you want to spread the word of nerd we would totally appreciate it and we also want to give one last thank you to Hillary, because we didn't, we mentioned it last time, and we didn't really get a chance to really elaborate. Uh, Hillary sent us baked goods, just like you talked about. Om nom 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 nom. <laughs> they were really, really good. So thank you for that. And um, again, uh, the P.O. box where you can send that to us um, is on Deuteronomy.com. But please, if you are going to send us a perishable, please shoot us an email or a Facebook message or something so we know that they're perishable, because otherwise they could potentially sit in that P.O. box for a few days sometime exactly because we don't check the p.o box every day so um just give us a shout out because we want to enjoy your cookies or baked goods at their full peak of freshness (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed anyway let's wrap this mother up so um until we meet again stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com bye can't believe you fell for the dismembered head i mean brian i really do not appreciate being lied to oh really this is a, this is a history podcast people come here for educational purposes because all of history is 100 percent accurate always so wait are you saying that the sumerian thing with the heads was written by the hopscotch victors maybe huh